So I got out of the way and I was trying to move people and I was like, oh, how much room do you need? And he was like, uh, five yards back and three yards over. (laughs) And the way he said it was just like, five yards back and three yards over, you dumb (laughs) You you f***ing It's like, come on, man. Welcome to Chapel Bell Curve. Stats focused podcast about UJ football. I'm Justin. And I'm Nathan. And today we're going to review the game that was this past weekend, the Middle Tennessee game. So here we are. We're just going to kind of talk about it. We're going to go all about it. You know, Nathan, we never do bits when we first open the show. You know, there's so many podcasts out there that just do like a quick bit. Do you think we should introduce bits to the show? Uh, I don't know. That seems to go against our sort of like. I feel like bits are like the uninformed hot takes of mm-hmm. um, the podcast world. Comedy? Yeah, yeah. Are we doing a bit right now? Is this a, is this a bit? Yeah, it is kind of like a meta. Ah. It's unfortunately like a fake authenticity. Like, make sure you mash that subscribe button and let's get a call to action in. I just watched a Lindsay, a Lindsay Ellis video about like SEO and YouTube. And now I'm all like sad about how we have to do calls to action. But seriously, you should rate and review us. Um <laughs> smash that freaking like smash button. that five star review uh no i think i think we're good i think uh our sort of stodgy boringness our sort of stodgy commitment to uh finding things in the numbers i think that's mm-hmm. sort of our brand at this point i mean somebody's listening to this show yeah like a lot of somebody so, it's actually it's actually terrifying yeah uh, which is a great you know I, I those of you that aren't on social media, you should know that we just found out this past weekend, uh, after we recorded our last episode, that we are now one of the top 200 college sports podcasts on Apple yep, iTunes yep, and Apple Podcasts. Yep, so yep, yes, we are. Thanks for listening to our Chucklehead podcast. We really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, it, it is very stupid. Very, very stupid. <laughs> but actually, it's, it's a huge deal, and we really do appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, no, really awesome. we, we definitely do. We, you know, it's... Yeah, when we first started, I've said this a lot, but when we first started, we really didn't think that this was going to be anything <laughs> that people actually listen to other than our friends and even that begrudgingly. And so just the feedback that we've gotten from you guys, and I just think especially the community of your participation with us and your willingness to sort of interrogate these stats and interrogate this way of thinking about sports and life has been really it's been really gratifying for me personally because this is also sort of a reflection of how i think about life as well what we do on this podcast and it's been cool to see that other people find it interesting it has been really really neat yeah and for different reasons for me mine's just because this is like this is kind of my dream yeah and yeah. i'm living my dream currently yeah, I, I, you so. know, it's on, I honestly am a little bit too i mean when I started running like five years ago, I really got into podcasts and I always thought for three or four years, I was like, man, I feel like I could do a podcast. And I then finally got up. I got to the point of like, I think I should do a UGA podcast. And then I don't know. It just feels like I feel a little wide eyed stupid about it because every, I feel like every time something good happens to this podcast, I'm just like, Oh, and now this is happening. Oh, people are listening to it. Oh, we're on doc sports. Oh, now it's getting downloads. And so I'm, I'm very, uh, i I just think the message from us is that we really appreciate it and we're really excited to continue to make this thing good and keep it going for forever until I die. Um, <laughs> Which is, it could be, could be tomorrow. Anyway. Yeah. But until yeah. then we'll see. Uh, so go yeah, dogs. let's go dogs. Let's go through what we're going to do, do today. So we're going to go okay. through our subjective experiences at the MTSU game. Then we're going to hit 
a, an advanced stat update. So we finally got the advanced stat profiles from uh, the stats god Bill Connolly, and we are going to go through all everything that you need to know about UGA a quarter of the way into the season because we are now at the quarter poll, as weird it is as it is to say. So I think it, mm-hmm. it's good to take stock not just of the lines for this game, but also you know just where we are as a, a whole team on both sides of the ball. Then we're going to talk about sort of our takeaways I, i've divided it up i kind of we rejiggered some stuff in the notes that we do so we're going to do observations which would be more like things that we saw with our eyes and we're going to do takeaways which i think which i'm classifying more as where do we think this team is now now that we've gone over the things we saw with our eyes and the things that we see in the numbers uh, after we get done with that we will review our predictions from last week and then we'll be done Oh, no, no. Yep, uh, yep. I'm so sorry. No, we won't be. Then we're going to do our Ask CBC uh, segment. We've only got three or four this week, but a couple of good ones. And yeah. then we're going to be done. So let's hit it. Let's let's start with our subjective experience. So, Justin, you actually went to this game. So let's start with you. What was your, I went. What was your subjective experience for this one? I went to the game. It was so nice. Uh, I started the day out by driving down to Five Points, which I live in. Um, but now we live much further down the, the Lumpkin Hill. So we... Ended up driving over and we we grabbed a bite to eat. It was actually a big, big uh, pain in the butt just because we were trying to... We were going to go to like lunch and we were going to have make a whole day of it when the game was previously at 7 o'clock. Then it got moved to a noon game. And as it turns out, uh, there is no brunch available just about anywhere before noon on a Saturday, which is wildly unfortunate. What is fortunate is that we got some burgers at Grindhouse. We walked to the game with our good friends Virginia and Austin and had a wonderful experience. We sat on the south side of the stadium right underneath like the press box and all of the like above us is all like the fancy rich folks and so we had that shade oh, so you, you had good shade. oh it was incredible and there was a nice breeze and there was shade i still got sunburnt because i am a, a lily white irish boy but um it was pretty fantastic uh, just an overall i kept turning to anna the whole day and just saying like man this is so pleasant this is just so Yeah, it really nice. was. It was, it was. it was in stark contrast to the last two games, I felt. Yeah, for sure. Um, I remember looking over to the West End and realizing that it was entirely different. I actually haven't like walked by the stadium or rode my bike by the stadium since the new West End's been installed and uh, the renovations went underway. Um, first of all, it's functional and it's beautiful and it's incredible and it's so cool that it opens up right to the street. I think that's super neat. Uh, I really want to be able to sit over there. Um, the sound is incredible, like you've been saying. Like the audio quality of the speakers and everything is absolutely fantastic, and the jumbotron over there is nuts. Like I found myself watching the screen sometimes and having to remind myself that I was at a game and I should be watching the game. Yeah, uh, and right the mix, in front of me. Uh, the, the balance of the sound coming out of the jumbotron is better, but also I think the selection of the songs is better as well. I would agree. It was kind of weird sometimes. Like sometimes they would play old clips and it came out way, way, way too loud. And it was yeah, like they hadn't jarring. done. They hadn't went back and redone the post processing mm-hmm. for everything. I've noticed that the there's a much crisper mid, mm-hmm. and they have enough bass that they don't have to overproduce the bass. That was kind of the fir- the problem with the first set of speakers. It was that the bass was strong but not strong enough as they wanted it and i feel like they would pop the bass levels too much and what would end up happening is you'd get a lot of distortion on the bass frequencies and the mids and the highs didn't really come through at all and i feel like that the the alto voice in you know whatever they play is always very crisp now and that um is sort of the underappreciated thing a, a lot of times when you're looking at like balance in music is and this is not just in uh, acoustic music but also in electric music is if you don't have good mids like you you're just not going to get a good sound yep. 
Um, yeah, I, I also thought that uh, I think that the whole it's it's very clear. You know, we've, we've talked a lot about the sort of the new Georgia way and this sort of maximizing every every possible experience in the football, you know, experience. Team, yeah, but not but well, I would say you know, treating the football team as an entire unit, all the way from the game day experience to player development to nutrition, all of the small things, making those be more thoughtful has been sort of a theme of the Kirby Smart tenure. And this is just sort of a piece with it, right? The experience for recruits is better. The experience for fans is better. Uh, And even on a game that was changed because of weather, you still had, you know, 80, 85,000 people there. And, you know, to their credit, they, I thought, did a really good job of cheering through the first half and a little bit into the third quarter, and then it kind of emptied down, which was fine. Basically, so we started our first show this year was West. The first band show this year was West, uh, which was a celebration of the new West End Zone project, Mm -hmm. and all of the um, songs were themed around the concept of West. And since that doesn't work flipped because every other game, uh, every other home game, the Redcoats flip their show and they play it to the alumni and then to the student side, one and one. So that concept didn't work flipped because everything was pointing towards the West end zone and we couldn't totally flip the show and play it two different ways. So they played the second show that they've played in as many home games. And I thought they did a very good job. And I thought they did a really, really good job of practicing very efficiently on it. They only actually had five full practices on it. We'd practiced it in band camp, but in terms of polishing and getting the show to the point where it was ready to be, to be on the field and on TV, we only had five uh, hour and a half long practices on wow. it. And yeah, so they did a really good job. And certainly uh, I can only speak for the Sousaphone section, but there were, there were moments and there were practices where I had some doubts about what it was going to look like on the day, but they did an excellent job of pulling it out and working really hard on both the Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday practices leading up to the game. So I thought that was awesome. Uh, also, the Redcoats this year have a very good alto voice, which I think is really... I don't want to get too much into like tone concept and warmth, <laughs> but they, they, they're they a very warm band this year. There's It's not too tinny, and it's not too uh, bright. And I think a lot of that has to do because the, we have a very good mellophone section, but that's neither here nor there. I got on the big screen during Battle Hymn, which in hindsight is cool, but in the moment I hated because my only goal when I escort the Battle Hymn soloist up there is to stay out of the way and not get in the shot. And it was one of those things where I had two competing interests because there was a videographer up there from athletics and there were several people taking pictures of the battle himself it was his first time and his parents were there and it was a very lovely scene and so i was leaning to get out of their way as they recorded but i inadvertently got on the feed that they put up during pregame for the battle hymn the actual battle him solo during pregame and so i got a lot of pictures after the fact including one that i think was tagged to chapel bell curve itself on facebook yeah. just bas- or on instagram rather that basically just had my dumb head <laughs> in the background of the battle him solo crouching over because i was crouching away from one direction but inadvertently leaned into the main shot so but you know that was kind of cool getting all those text messages like hey your dumb face is on this giant screen <laughs> let's see we also for the second week this week we kind of finalized it this week we moved the tubas to the side of the band which i know doesn't seem like anything but in a 400 person band moving 40 people and are moving 26 people and 26 instruments that are take up about two people's worth of space is no small logistical feat. And we got them moved basically just to improve the sound so that we have more lows. It, it, it was sort of the band version of turning an equalizer knob or like upping the gain mm-hmm. on someone's mic. It was moving the sousaphones down so that we have a more prominent bass sound. And it really, really works. If you listen to the uh, recording of this game, you can see, you can really hear the bass pop, which a good bass 
section really i mean it that you balance from your bass section and if you can't hear the bass it's it just doesn't work so that was really awesome uh, that was about it you know it was just kind of one of those experience wise it very much felt like a 330 game where we beat the opponent by 42 points it did yeah you know? so let's talk now that we've kind of got the mishimashi heart stuff out of the way let's let's talk with our smart iron silicone brains <laughs> So what I want to do here is I think we should go back and forth. So if you want to do the five factors box score, we'll go through that. We'll talk about this real quickly. I don't think there's really a lot to say about the actual results of this game in terms of a direct comparison between these two teams. We were clearly the better team and we won, but I, it's worth going over. Mm-hmm. Then I can give us the S&P Plus update, and then we can go through some of our advanced stats four games into the season. For sure. So our going down the five factors box score real quick from this UGA Middle Tennessee game, it was... Of course, 49-7 was the final score with UGA uh, winning that game. And for the rest of the these five factors, I'll just throw Middle Tennessee numbers out first, just because that's how they are in front of my eyes. The post-game win probability was 0.1 to 99.9. There were 11 drives Middle Tennessee to Georgia's 10. 68 plays Middle Tennessee to 56 Georgia. 288 yards total for Middle Tennessee, 484 Georgia. Uh, yards per play were 4.24 to Georgia's 8.64. Success rate was 50% even to 54.1 Georgia. Scoring opportunities for Middle Tennessee were three and ours were six. Points per scoring opportunity, 2.3 for Middle Tennessee and seven for Georgia. Average field position was 27.4 to Georgia's 21.8, which is pretty neat. I like that. And then yards per play, this is for margin. The the margin, yeah. uh, Middle Tennessee was negative 4.41 and we were positive. The yardage margin for Middle Tennessee was negative 196 to our 196. Uh, success rate margin was negative 4.1% to our 4.1%. Um, points per opportunity margin was negative 4.67 for Middle Tennessee and our to our 4.67. Field position margin was Middle Tennessee's 5.6 to our negative 5.6. Turnover margin negative 2 to 2. A expected turnover margin was negative 0.22 uh, to our 0.22, of course. And then turnover luck was negative 1.78 to our 1.78 positive. Yeah, so going through those stats, the only thing that really stands out is the success rate differential. Mm -hmm. This is kind of going to be a theme with what we talked about with our defense. But, you know, they did have success pretty consistently running the ball. And their opportunity rate was not that great, but their success rate was. And we can talk about what that means statistically going Mm -hmm. forward. But that's really the only thing that kind of pops out to me. We we have some more traditional game stats for this, and I can run this down real quick here. So they had... 14 first downs to R23. They got 10 by rushing, 4 by passing, 0 by penalty. They had 158 uh, rushing yards to R261. Their average yards per rush was 4.2. Ours was 7.5. They had 130 passing yards to R223. Our average pass per attempt was 4.3. Our theirs was 4.3. Ours was 10.6. Their average pass per completion was 6.5. Ours was 13.1. They had one passing touchdown. We had four. Total offensive yards, 288 to 484, as you said. Total offensive plays, we went over already. That's about it About in terms of stuff that we haven't covered yet. Uh, I would note that our average yards per punt were actually totally equal, 46 mm-hmm. to 46, and that's interesting. Net yards per punt, 31 to 37 for us uh, on the positive side. That We had one punt inside the 20. They had four inside the 20. Part of that was just because they were punting more. They had two punts of 50-plus yards. We had one. They had zero touchbacks. We had one touchback, and they had, we both had a fair catch apiece. Of course, Rod, Hot Rod ran his um, streak of touchbacks yeah, all the way up to three games, so that's nice, too. 
but you know, I don't think there's really a lot we can, I, I think the things that we need to talk about from this game have a lot more to do with just where UGA is than where UGA is in relation to MTSU. So the comparative stats, other than the K, the success rate differential, aren't really that interesting to me. I, I really would like to get into the S&P Plus stats and just where UGA is, both at a meta level from for this team in terms of the top line stats and just breaking it down a little bit closer. So let's talk about our S&P Plus update. And this is the update that came out on Sunday, which includes all games after 9-16. So... UGA, UGA is 3.0 with, or shit, let's try that again. UGA is 3-0. Our second order wins are three. We should have won all games, all three of our games, obviously. Our S&P Plus percentile, we're in the 97.9 percentile of S&P Plus. Our S&P Plus margin is 30.2. We're about 30 points better than our opponent right now. Our rank is third. Our offensive S&P Plus rank is sixth. Our defensive S&P Plus rank is 18th. And our special teams S&P Plus rank is seventh. Last week we were third. We have not changed. So five factors currently on the year. And this is where we get into the nitty gritty here. All right. So I'll go through our offense first. So our success rate, we are fourth in the nation. Marginal efficiency, we are second in the nation. ISOPPP plus, which measures explosiveness, we are 11th in the nation. Marginal explosiveness, we are 13th in the nation. That right there is a world-class national championship caliber offense. Just just with those four numbers. That's all you really need to know. Um, there's more, though. Our average field, field position, 98th in the nation. This, I think, has a little bit to do with the fact that we've had some punts that we should have caught that we didn't. And we saw Kirby Spart lose his shit about that on Saturday. And I guess, so I guess he's looking at these numbers as well. Finishing drives, we are 21 uh, we're 21st in the nation. We are scoring 5.76 yard, uh, points per scoring opportunity, which means we are very rarely getting anything but touchdowns when we can score inside of the 40. Our expected turnover margin is plus 0.1, which is 59th in the nation. And our actual turnover margin is plus 3, which is 19th in the nation. We're getting about 1.2 points per game off of turnover luck. However, we are winning most games by 30, so it doesn't matter. Uh, defensively, we are 88th in the nation in defensive success rate. That is probably the low number on the day. We are 40th in the nation in marginal efficiency. We are <laughs> first in the nation in ISO PP plus defensively, second in the nation in marginal explosiveness. Yeah, that's sexy. We are 44th in the nation in defensive field position, probably just because all Rodrigo can do is just chew bubblegum and kick touchbacks, and he's all out of bubblegum. Uh, finishing drives, we are fourth in the nation, or fifth in the nation, at 2.4 points per scoring drive inside the 40. Which basically means that when a team possesses the ball inside of our 40, they are basically less likely to get a field goal than they are to get nothing. So that's where we are footprint rise. So there's some a little bit alarming numbers, but then there are also some very good numbers to make up for that on the defensive side. If we want to look at personality stats, which basically just tell us what kind of offenses and defense we are, then we're going to look at our footprint real quick. So we'll go through this. Okay. Offensively, uh, UGA's uh, offensive footprint. We are, our standard down run rate is 63.2, which is 36 in the nation. That's pretty high, but we don't really run that much more. We, we run basically more than most teams, but less than all the teams that run the option. Our passing down run rates is 32.3, which is 80th in the nation. So basically, we're pretty even when it comes... We don't have a lot of tendencies when it comes to uh, standard downs and passing downs, except that we have a slight propensity to run, which, duh. Our adjusted pace is 2.44, which is good for 109th in the nation. We are not going fast. We can go fast, but we're not. Um, Our percentage of solo tackles, and this is a really interesting stat that I think is going to really 
um, be an interesting thing to look at in the Mizzou game. Our percentage of total tackles is 70.2, which is 84th in the nation. So basically, uh, the average is 72.4. Basically, percentage of solo tackles, it doesn't measure anything good or bad. It measures basically whether or not you are a team that tries to get people one-on-one in space. So this kind of bears out to me because teams that run more are going to have a lower number because a lot of runs end with multiple people get tackling the same person. But I also think it's interesting to think that that solely comes from our run rate. I don't think it really comes a lot from our pass rate because if, you know, just subjectively, a lot of our passing plays have ended with one-on-one tackles. There were two or three of them on deep balls where one guy tackled someone going out of bounds. Um, Our havoc rate allowed is 9.8, which is eighth in the country, which basically to me just reflects that we are kind of executing pretty cleanly. We're avoiding big plays on the defense. We're we're not letting the defense give us big plays. All right, so defensive footprint. Um, Standard down run rate, 44.3, 125th in the nation. We're not seeing a lot of runs on standard down. I think teams think they can pass on us short on standard downs, and they can. And I think that also has to do with the fact that we've been playing all of our cornerbacks and DBs about seven to eight yards off of the line of scrimmage for most of the year. Passing down run rates, 34.3. That's 52nd in the nation. It's about average. Uh, overall havoc rate, 103rd, 13.4%. That is not great. Now, um, there's one reason why our overall havoc rate is so low, and that is because our DL havoc rate is 1.6, which is good for 126th in the nation. That is probably the glaring weakness of this team right now is that our, our, our defensive line, while they might be holding steady, they are not causing problems for the other team. LB Havoc rate, 4.6% for 63rd in the nation. That bears out. DB Havoc rate, 55th, uh, 55th at 7.3%. That also bears out. DeAndre Baker is probably worth about two or three points of that on his own. Uh, passes defense to interceptions, 37.1, which is good for 49th in the nation. Basically, what that measures is how aggressive are we at covering the ball, which means that we are pretty aggressive. Like, we are going for interceptions when we can get them. Now, that stat is probably a little stewed, uh, skewed when you think about it in terms of the actual games, because there have been subtle, several interceptions that DeAndre Baker just read the whole time. He didn't really have to take a risky move in order to get the interception, but it is what it is. Um, yeah, so that's UGA right now. Um what that tells me, and Justin, I'm excited to hear what you think about this, but what it tells me right now is that, you know, teams can, teams have pretty good success rate against us. They can get the yards that they need on first and second mm-hmm. down. Um, teams also are styming our defensive line. You know, that's probably the weakness of this team. There are not a lot of weaknesses in this team other than that. Yeah. We are very good at preventing the, the big player. We are very good at causing the big play. So do you have any kind of takeaways from just those top line advanced stats that we just went over? I think what, exactly what you said was what I was actually going to bring up is that uh, I think this is kind of indicative of just our first three games. We really haven't opened our playbook yet. Uh, it's still a very simple game we're playing. So we're, you know, we're letting teams get through on first and second down and standard downs. But in the, the passing downs, you know, that's when we're actually stopping the ball. That's when we're stopping the other teams and we're keeping them uh mitigated to just lower point games is what it comes down to and so i think i expect this number to change yeah yeah i i I think they will i think that the defensive line stuff is a little bit troubling uh i would not i would not call it like hit the panic button troubling but i would call it you know i mean we're not playing a lot of run support we're playing a lot of dive we're playing a lot of off coverage and we're not bringing safeties into the box Mm -hmm. very often now, that is by necessity because – not necessity, but I think we're trying to protect Tyson Campbell, and that's fine. So I'm not I'm not super worried about it, but I, it is something to think about. And, you know, if we look at our – if we look if we look at it broken down in our advanced stat profiles into standard downs and passing downs and into passing and rushing, what we'll see is that we are a pretty good rushing marginal efficiency 49th. That's fine. 
Rushing marginal explosiveness, first. We don't give up big mm-hmm. rush plays. Opportunity rate, 109th. Yep. Which basically means if a if someone gets third if someone gets two or three yards, they're pretty likely to get five or six yards against us. And so that's a little bit troubling. But on the other hand, our stuff rate is twenty three point nine percent, which is thirty five. So it's this is a really hard team to read right now, and a lot of that is because there's a four game sample size. Mm-hmm. But to me, it just seems like we are giving teams teams are taking what they can get uh, against us they're taking what we give them but they're not getting much else and i think that these numbers will be a bit more telling uh after missouri just because this is a team that plays under a lot more um they are a high scoring Mm -hmm. team of course and that's probably because they've played a similar schedule to what we've played so far and it's been a high scoring game uh with with the fcs teams and just lower ranked teams but Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they're a team Mm -hmm. that plays to drew lock and their tight end and we're gonna see we'll talk about that more in the next game but i i, I well yeah i'm no go ahead i was just ahead. gonna say i predict that you know our stuff rate and our actual defensive success rate will actually go up um after this following game we'll get better well you know and if we look at our passing offense i'm our passing defense it kind of makes me i kind of agree because passing marginal efficiency for mm-hmm. passing marginal explosiveness 12th right passing completion rate 105th yeah. We're just giving a lot, a lot of short plays, and that is affecting our success rate. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, that's fine. That's just a way to play defense, and it's probably the way to play defense that we need to play right now. The only thing that really bothers me on the passing is the sack rate is 127th. It's uh, total, and then 117th on standard downs, 100 or 96th on uh, or 117th on passing downs, 96th on standard downs. That's not well. Great. I think that that also comes from just being more conservative these first three games. We're trying not to get hurt. We're not opening the playbook and not playing behind that defensive line. <laughs> and, and we're playing second and third string for a lot of games. How many points have we scored against other teams right now? So we're playing in garbage time for most of this. It's like 100 to 17 or something. A lot of these games, a lot of these stats are pretty much all the stats we've talked about so far are adjusted for garbage mm-hmm. time. And we've spent the last quarter of two or three games in garbage time. So, you know, that that's an sense. even smaller oh, sample I, size at that point. Yeah. I mean, I think we can get a little bit deeper in the numbers. Um, one very interesting thing that Bill Connolly has been doing is doing Bill Walsh stats. So, okay, Bill Walsh stats are basically stats, the same stats that we have in terms of success rate and stuff like that but broken down into different situational things because bill wash basically had three ways that he divided his offense he had open plays which are plays between your 10 and the opponent's 30 he had backed up which is any play inside of the 10 he had blitz downs which is anything that was i think it's first and 16 or more or third and eight and more or second and nine and more something like that and then he had red zone but he broke the red zone down into 21 to 30 line 11 to 20 and inside the 10 and then first and goal. So we have a lot of stats broken down by those situations. We also have some third down percentage stats and I think those are very telling. So third down, I think is really telling right now defensively. Okay. So defensively, our third and long percentage is 130th. We do not face third. We do not force third and longs because our success rate is very bad. Our third and short percentage is 106th. Simultaneously, we do not give up a lot of third and shorts because we are giving we are giving people five to six yards on the first two plays, right? Our third and long success rate is seventh in the nation, right? So what that tells me is we're not getting people into third and long very often, but when we do, we're closing out. Our third and medium success rate is 41st most of the time 40 percent of the time when or 60 percent of the time when we get someone in third in the short we're not letting them our third medium we're not letting them convert it our third and short success rate is 42nd in the nation which means even when a team gets into third and short against us we are not letting them convert that 27 percent of the time so 
what that tells me is that we are giving up some stuff, maybe some intentionally, maybe some because we're not getting good DL push, but we are very, very good at making up for that on third downs. And that kind of fits into the narrative of what you were saying with not with being very vanilla on defense, because we are not going to blitz on first and second down right now because we don't have to. We have been focusing on some negative things, but there are some very positive things in all of these oh, numbers yes. on the offense. And they're very positive things on the defense, mm-hmm. too. Like our inside the 10 success rate on defense is first in the nation. Our inside the 10 turnover rate is second in the nation. Uh, our marginal explosiveness on defense, our rushing marginal explosiveness is first in the nation. We're not giving up big plays. Our standard downs marginal explosiveness is third in the nation. We're not giving up any big plays basically at all right now. Which I think it has to do with the fact that I think the backside of our defense is really the strength right now. And they're pursuing very, very well. Yeah. Um, blitz down success rate, bl- blitz down big play rate, first and third in the nation. Blitz down sack rate, 109th in the nation. So we're, we might not be sacking people, but it's not like they're having a lot of success anyway. Is there any? Is there anything else you're seeing on these numbers that kind of stands out to you in a positive way? Because we just kind of harped <laughs> on some negatives. I am a big fan of how efficient we are on offense. I'm a big fan of how... Uh, Against the explosiveness we are on defense overall. I know you, you threw out the rushing and passing defensive stats, but we are first overall ISO PPP on defense, and we are second overall. Like, we're even better than we were meant to be uh, against explosive offenses. Um, we're second overall, yeah. so it's pretty fantastic. Yeah, I mean, and I mean, look at those rushing stats right there. The, the rushing, rushing marginal efficiency, eighth in mm-hmm. the nation. Rushing marginal explosiveness, fourth in the nation. Opportunity rate, third in the nation. Stuff rate, third in the nation so on 8.6 percent of rushing snaps so eight out of 100 or you know less than one out of 10 will we get stuffed Mm. and that is that just tastes so very good (laughs) passing passing completion rate first in nathan eight nation first in the nathan (laughs) percent first in the nathan i mean yeah first in my heart obviously but also first in Uh the nation at 80.6 percent right now which is very very good uh quarterback play from us Uh right now Anything else you're seeing on our stats? I mean, we haven't talked about special teams. We haven't, and I'm I'm a big fan of the special teams. I'm always a big fan. Yeah, of... I want to I want to give I want to give this to you. So so there's some good numbers under special uh-huh. teams if you want to. Our field goal value per kick right now. Field goal value per yeah. kick. It's eighth for a rate of one point oh seven. On average, college kickers make eighty three point nine of twenty eight yard field goals in two thousand fifteen. If you multiply that by the three points of a field goal is worth, and you have the expected value uh, point value of two point five two. Give them a few kicks, keep track of the expected and actual point values, and boom, you've got a net point value kind of field goal metric. Divided by the number of field goals, and he takes, and there you go. So basically, the reason that number is one is because he's hitting kicks he's not expected to make. So with all that in mind, our field goal value per kick is 1.07, and that's good for the eighth best field goal value in the nation. Two statistics that aren't so hot, and we can talk about this a little bit, is our punt efficiency and our punt return efficiency. Our punt efficiency is 78th for 55.6% rate, and our punt return efficiency is 42.9% for 76th rank. I mean, I think that kind of makes sense because, you know, we've talked about how Camarda has had some touchbacks he probably shouldn't have had. Yeah. And and also, you know, there have been times where uh, both Mecole and... Akil Crumpton have let balls roll down to the five mm-hmm. that they should have just caught at the 30. So that's probably part of that. And I wonder that. if fair catches actually go into that or not. Because we have faced a couple teams that don't have great punting teams. And so those punts aren't going nearly as far as they could be. They're uh, not getting as much hang time. And so fair catches are a, mm-hmm. a much more of a factor than they, they need to be right now. But I imagine yeah. that will change a good bit once we play some, some teams with uh, just better punt teams in general. Though our kickoff yeah. efficiency and our kick return efficiency is top tier, 100% first in the nation. And that's all because of 
Hot Rod himself. Because Hot Rod just can't, I mean, he just, he's unconscious. Hey, you know, did I tell you? Oh, I didn't tell you. I got on, I was on the sidelines today or on Saturday and we, we got pushed. Yeah. We got pushed around a lot by the camera crews and it's always not pushed around, but you know what I mean? There's, you got to move out of the Mm -hmm. way. And so we ended up sort of like between Rodrigo Blankenship and his field goal practice Mm -hmm. net. And I didn't want my head taken off by a football going like 135 miles an hour. So I got out of the way and I was trying to move people. And I was like, oh, how much room do you need? And he was like, uh, five yards back and three yards over. <laughs> and the way he said it was just like, five yards back and three yards over, you dumb <laughs> You, you It's like, come on, man. You, you stupid head. Um, but he was very, he was very, very nice. But he was just kind of like. I don't know how how far back do you have to go to kick a field goal? Like, come on, man! Oh, what's this? What am I? Get? I'm I'm getting something in. It's like a live tweet right now. I'm getting a live tweet in. Oh, it's a hot rod watch. Hot rod watch, Nathan. This is a new segment we have. New segment thing. The rod watch. Did we get a tweet? A tweet about no, it? Right I was now? I was playing pretend. I was playing pretend right now. It's my uh, hot rod watch. So I'm watching hot rod now. Uh, and it, this is totally on me. I found the most beautiful unicorn of a website recently, and it is RodrigoBlankenship.com. Is it amazing? Because oh, that sounds amazing. My God, Nathan, this is the best website. Do I, do I need to go? To you need to go to RodrigoBlankenship.com right, right this minute. So RodrigoBlankenship.com. I don't know who runs it, but I assume it's probably a loved one of some sort, and they put every single hot rod stat. Oh my God, this is isn't amazing. it the best thing you've ever seen? It's just a, oh such a God. simple WordPress website. Samantha, Samantha, Rodrigo Blankenship. Some family member of Rodrigo Blankenship has a website called RodrigoBlankenship.com. That this website, so it's so I perfect hope that everybody listening to this show right now is going to go to RodrigoBlankenship.com because the stories of this are told as if Rodrigo Blankenship is the only player on the team. And that's also, also, also. Hold on, 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 hold on. Let's let's just go through the stat entries: 2018 season, 2017 season, 2016 season, 2014 season, 2013 season, 2012 season. Soccer 2015, soccer 2014, soccer 2013. Media biography. Oh god damn biography. So the only reason I bring this up is because it does have a lot of really good stats in it. Whoever's watching this and well, this has got to be his dad. I would assume his dad's like super involved. His dad's very very involved in his career. And I love this. It's the sweetest and just most intense thing I've ever seen. But uh, the, the pieces I wanted to bring up about Hot Rod, we're on Hot Rod Watch right now. And the reasons being is because Hot Rod is on a current course to probably play somewhere in the top five of scoringist dogs in history. If he doesn't come back next year. If he year. doesn't come back next year, he's in top five. If he comes back next year, he could theoretically... He could hit. He could theoretically be number yeah, one. Yeah, if he comes back next year, he, he could most definitely get number one. Uh, he scored an additional seven points this game. There were no field goals, but there were seven extra points, which is fantastic. That pushed him in the 10th place spot for most career points scored. He is now within three points, no, four points of 222, which is the ninth place spot. He currently has the most points this season per player at 27 and second place is McCall Hardman at 24, which that's not that far-fetched. Most times, you know, uh, his, kickers have his the most longest points. tank. His longest hang time is 4.44 seconds this year. That's actually really, That's really good, incredible uh, on a kickoff. He also, uh, he also, I learned via the <laughs> website, he normally kicks, he normally kicks in pink cleats he at does. home, but uh, away he debuted his silver bullet, Nike silver shoes, his silver bullet, just to be clear, silver bullet. Those are the names of Rodrigo Blankenship's 
uh, shoes that he wears at away games. I just want to say that like Rodrigo Blankenship is is a blessing from God to all of us. And the fact that our bespectacled kicker, who is just the best human in the world, has a picture with Migos at the Rose Bowl. <laughs> Or not, with, not even Migos. I'm sorry. With Offset at the Rose Bowl. It's just Offset and a Rodrigo Blankenship. And uh, like, I kind of want this just protected on my tombstone when I die. Oh, yeah. Like, because, oh my God, is it good? Rodrigo Blankenship is a unicorn. God, I love him There's so much. There's only one of him. Also, if you follow him on Instagram, he has a lot of very cute pictures of him and his girlfriend. And they are very adorable. Also, I mean... He's he's such a genius. God, I love him so much. He also he he. I just want to go over some things that this man has done. He's done. We're gonna have to cut this out because we just talked for twenty minutes about fucking Rodrigo <laughs> Blankenship. But he's he's released a rap. He's released a rap mix, which is actually good. He has a picture not with Offset but with Quavo from Migos, in which he is like mean mugging in his helmet and specs on the sideline. What I assume is like an hour before the Rose Bowl. Still with his head, still with his helmet on. Oh my god, I love him so much. All right, I'm sorry, we got we got off. Uh, then the last thing I wanted to say was this was his first captaincy. Uh, this game actually. Yep. Oh, was it? Oh, good special for teams him. captain. He deserves yep. it. And I assume that yeah. we will see him as a special teams captain, most likely for most of the games, if not all of them, for the rest of the season, because I do think he's deserving. Hot yeah. Rod is a Cinderella story, truly. All right, according to Pro Football, I've got a few more. If we're gonna move yeah, on, we should I've actually on. if we're gonna stop waxing poetic about Rodrigo Blinkenship, it's hard to do, but I have a few more kind of statistical mm-hmm. things that I think are interesting to this point in the year. These aren't really advanced stat stuff. This is stuff I pulled from Pro Football Focus for the most part. Um Georgia's defense has now missed eleven tackles in their first three games. That's very good. That probably contributes to a lot of their uh high explosiveness and ISO PPP numbers. They have outscored opponents in the first half by a score of 117. They only lead 35 to second in the second half scoring. And in the fourth quarter alone, they trail seven to zero, which has to do with the fact that by the fourth quarter, they've put in who, what, who Will Leach refers to as the human victory cigar, Prather Hudson. I think really the Prather Hudson, Matt Downing backfield is really the, it's the closest Kirby Smart will ever get to smiling and drinking scotch and uh-huh. whiskey um, <laughs> publicly. I'm sure he does it privately. Uh, let's see. 80.6 is the combined completion percentage for all of UJ's QBs right now. Uh, Jake Fromm has an 80.4 rating. Justin Fields has an 82.4 completion percentage. Of course, that's only on 17 passes. And Matt Downing has a 75% completion rating, bringing it down with three of four passing this season. So there's only been, if you add all of that up, 14 for seven, Jake Fromm is 37 for 46 and Matt Downing is three for four. That comes up to 13 incompletions on the year for the entire year for, for, for three games with an SEC game in there. So that's not all just scrubs. So I guess sort of we've rambled a long time. We've talked about a lot of advanced stats. I think that, and we're going to get into this more in our Missouri preview, but I think that there are definitely things to be exploited in this mm-hmm. team. This is a team that's young. It's this team that our defensive line is not doing what we need it to do. If, but I also think that this is a team that is so very good at so many places that if our defensive line matures just a little bit and our linebackers mature just a little bit and we just get average production out of them, this team can win a national championship. I'm not sure if they can win a national championship against this year's Alabama team, but I do think they can win a national championship sort of in the abstract. So what are some final observations you want to highlight coming out of this stats-heavy mid-half? Stats-heavy hot rod mid-half. Yeah, so um, our observations, I'm just going to talk about some things I saw at MTSU that I think kind of hook into what we mm-hmm. saw in our stats. 
I thought it was interesting that we ran the the spring game, the the sprint game, and the rollout game so often. It was two or three times. It was the same way that we both we've seen it before. We saw it with Fields, and we saw it with Fromm twice. First on the first play, he ran a rollout, and then he ran like a shifted sprint out on the touchdown to Stanley. We saw Fromm throw a touchdown out of a moving pocket as well. I think that we have an athletic enough O line that we know we can do that now. Now, generally speaking. You know, you run, you move the pocket when you have an O-line that is athletic but can't hold. But I think we have an O-line that is both athletic and can hold. But I think sliding protection and running sprint and running, you know, rollouts and naked bootlegs and all that business, I think that is going to be a lot more effective for us because we're just not going to give up a lot of pressure, even with Cade Mays coming in as a freshman. I thought that while the D-line did get creased a lot of times, which is a huge issue, just the D-line getting moved around a little bit, they also got cut off on the backside too much. And I haven't seen much out of a lead better as I'd like to. And he plays one of those outside positions that is supposed to have contain. Um, the cutback lane was there way too often. And actually, since I wrote that down yesterday, it's come out that the fight or quote unquote love tap fest between uh, DeAndre, ba- or DeAndre Walker and Britton Cox was actually about Britton Cox not closing down on the outside and cleaning up runs, which I assume had to do with the fact that they kept getting the cutback lane. And we kept losing them in pursuit. And a lot of those five or six yard gains that freak us out from MTSU would be two or three. And we wouldn't worry about them if they had been closing out like that. Um, I think inside linebackers are a work of progress. The starting four seems a little slow in coverage, but I thought Jawan Taylor looked really good. I think Monty Rice, Natros Patrick, and um, and Tay Crowder looked, if not lost, they just, they just pedal a little bit too much. They don't seem ready to commit, which to me says that they're not, I, you know, part of part of what made Roquan so good was his instincts. And I, I really don't see that all of them have sort of the preternatural instincts that they need. Um, Channing Tyndall got in and actually looked really good. I think that he showed a lot of flashes, but you know, he looks like he's very fast. He, he runs well in coverage. He hits really hard. He had, I think two or three tackles in the second half, but I don't know that he knows the whole playback playbook. So I don't know if we can count Mm -hmm. on him. Um, The D line had flashes, but didn't look dominant. There was a couple of times before, uh, and the defensive possession immediately preceding uh, the whole targeting thing and front and from slash fields uh, two minute drill at halftime. It looked like they were like, okay, we're going to try. We're going to put the whole first team in and the D line's really going to look out good or get after it. And they looked really good on that drive, but not the rest of the time. So that's interesting. Justin Fields showed why he's a five-star today. He has a little bit of hitch in his footwork. I think um, he held the ball if not too long, he just got a little antsy in the pocket a couple mm-hmm. of times, but he looked really good all day. He moved in and out of the pocket really well once he made the decisions. He had a great run. He looks so smooth as a runner. And he is, he is, I said, I tweeted this during the game, but he has an elite play fake oh, game. Oh, yeah. Elite play fake game. And, and I don't just mean that, you know, people accept his play fake because, you know, he's a running quarterback, which is true. But I also mean it in the sense that he sells the play flick so well, and he's so willing to run out of it, even especially on bootlegs. That I, I mean, I really think that's going to be a uh, that's going to be a weapon for us going forward this mm-hmm. year. He has a great arm. He threw a rope to the back of the end zone to Jason Stanley on that touchdown that you know twenty twenty five quarterbacks in the nation mm-hmm. can throw, and he's a freshman, so you can really tell why he's a five, why he's a five star. I think going forward, it's going to be interesting to see how much he yeah. plays because he played like someone who should play during the SEC mm-hmm. season. And that's something we talked about a lot last last episode as well. It's just what we're going to do with Justin Fields. And that question was obviously answered. So I think that we're just going to see a good mix of both him and Jake Fromm. I mean, there's never a time where yeah. we want one or the other, it seems. 
but there's never a time where we're upset about one of them being in over the other either. Right. Yeah. And, and I think, I think you mentioned this last time, but if you're going to pull his red shirt, why not play him? Oh yeah. You know, Um, I think, I think defensively we played a lot of off coverage in this game, which was kind of a schematic thing and also just because we were vanilla. But there were five or eight yards that we were getting up on many plays at the snap. And MTSU is a smart enough team, and they have a good enough offensive coordinator that they were taking advantage of that. We, they were they were throwing wide receiver screens. They were throwing little quick hitches. They were throwing short slants. They were throwing underneath routes. And, you know, that ate, that ate us up a little bit. I think Kirby would tell you that he's okay with that because we tackled soundly for the most part. I mean, and even MTSU's only points was a play was a wide receiver, a wide receiver screen outside where both of our cornerbacks got blocked down. That still would probably have only been an eight or nine yard gain, except that J.R. Reed took a horrible angle and got caught in the traffic of one of the cornerbacks getting blocked. So, I mean, it's hard to be that angry about that kind of thing, because I think some of these numbers that we're seeing have to do with a reflection of, you know, just exactly what we're choosing to do on defense. And this is something we talked about a lot last year on offense about keeping bullets in the chamber. And I think since defense this year is sort of the weak side of the ball for us, that we are we are definitely keeping bullets in the chamber. So what's your what what were your observations from yeah, this game? Uh my big observations were Nicole Harbin is his acceleration is just unreal. He is a monster. And I know that's probably about the only thing that any media or press is talking about right now. He's just absolutely insane to watch. Uh, between receiving and returning yards, though, he's averaging 19 and a half yards every time he touches the ball, which just let that sink in for a moment. Every time he touches the ball, he's responsible for 19 and a half yards of offense or excuse me, all purpose yards. DeAndre Swift, we haven't really talked about DeAndre Swift because he didn't play the entire game. And I think that's important to note that I really don't think anything is going on. I don't think there's any kind of weird, you know, situation where he's hurt or someone's upset with him or anything like that. There has been some observations uh, after tonight's practice. We're recording this on Monday night the where he, you know, it was a little bit of a different practice, but I think it's a lot of stuff people digging into the situation and trying to read between the lines when there really isn't anything there necessarily. Smart said it was because they were up enough and they wanted other guys to get snaps. He was taken out when it was still 7-0, but I think that, you know, I think it's fine, especially looking back at it with hindsight. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking about it. And if you think about the history of Kirby Smart's career, what he's doing now sort of makes sense because there were several running backs that were Heisman Trophy candidates at Alabama that got overused, mm-hmm. frankly, and it had a pro, you know, it affected their NFL careers. Arguably, Trent Richardson fell prey to this. Several Alabama running backs have had the the whole thirty game, thirty carries a yeah. game problem, and I think that Kirby doesn't really give a crap if any of his players get the Heisman no. Trophy. I really don't. And I think he's gotten his kids to buy into the idea that, hey, you might only get 10 or 15 carries a game, but you're going to go to the NFL with a fresh set of wheels and you're not going to get hurt as early. So I, I'm fine yeah, with it. It's not a big know? deal. And maybe, maybe you know, maybe Swift's in the doghouse. It's possible. There's things that happen. He might have had a bad... I mean, I don't know. This is not me reporting. I'm just saying he might have had a bad test grade. He might have gone downtown and something got on social media that just just the team knows about, but would be embarrassing if it got out. There's so many things that could be happening where he has like, you know, an unofficial suspension that, you know, there's no Who way knows? to know, but I, I wouldn't, he's not injured. And to me, that's, that's really the big takeaway. Yeah. Uh, to quote the great Nathan Lawrence uh, in the midst of the game, we went over right before fourth quarter. So we could see, uh, or we could hear Krypton and uh, to quote Nathan Lawrence in the midst of the game, I think Deandre Baker might just be everyone's daddy. And I say that just to say that, yes, DeAndre Baker is absolutely incredible. And he is still my favorite player on this team. And he is just an absolute delight to watch. 
he his football like just his entire just his intelligence and the way he views the field you can tell it's like leaps and bounds further than other people in the same position and i really enjoy watching him play i wanted to say that Cade Mays is good i think he's doing a great job uh following his first start for this team uh but he is still a freshman i think he blocked really well most of the time but he's disrupting his own teammates in some place and that one justin fields touchdown is somewhat responsible Cade Mays is somewhat responsible for it because he did one clear a hole but also he uh you know, disrupted one of his other teammates making a block, which eventually pulled that defensive player off and came after Justin Fields, which is why Justin Fields had to scramble in the first place and grab that touchdown. If you go back, you can watch that um, all happen. But to echo you, Fields is absolutely fantastic. He is a little twitchy in the pocket right now. He's staying. It's funny because he's staying in the pocket a little too long, I think. But he's also, as he stays there, he gets more twitchy and more twitchy as one would, I imagine. But I think he's going to learn sooner rather than later that you know, these guys that he's playing against are better, bigger, stronger, faster than all the people that he's played, you know, against in high school, which is what he's used to. But that just comes with experience. Those are my overall observations. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, the way I'm dividing this up in terms of observations versus takeaways, what we just said was sort of the things that we think about in terms of this MTSU game specifically. So let's talk about, you know, how can we leverage our observations and our advanced stats into takeaways? What what do we think about this team right now? So let's kind of just go back and forth because I instead of just us reeling these off, I'd like this to be more of a conversation. So I'm why don't you give one and then we'll talk about it and then I'll give one and then we'll talk about it. We'll go back and forth. It looks not like we only got two or three. One of my biggest takeaways was I just you know while there were a lot of penalties, I, I remember sitting next to Anna and saying to her myself that man, this is really sloppy, you know, there's a lot of penalties and everything. And there are a lot of dumb penalties that could have been prevented. But it I think it came from the team being uh, super aggressive, super excited to be there, willing to be there. Uh, and so I don't think it was necessarily being what I view other teams in the league as being um, rude, um, unnecessarily aggressive is the biggest thing. And, and all that to say, I just enjoy how humble our team is. And you wouldn't notice it by just watching our game but watching our game at noon and then coming home and watching the rest of the sec's games i just enjoyed how much our team is not about egos it's not about single players it's about the team and they do a quick celebration they get excited as they should about doing something really well and they come off the field and it's not every single play like you see a lot of other players from other teams and i just enjoy how humble our team is well and i yeah, no, I absolutely agree. I think, you know, the culture on this team is just very good. The culture in the program is excellent. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that a lot of times when teams are humble, it's because nobody's mm-hmm. good. And I think this team is humble because everybody's yep. good. There are not a lot of people who can say on this team, I am far and away the best at my position. Maybe DeAndre Baker, but he's not. He's a very yep. humble guy. So that doesn't even absolutely. matter. My takeaway, my first takeaway is that on on aggregate, this team is just as good, if not better than last year's because of the tremendous jump in the depth of the speed on offense and how it's being utilized. We, I'm not, you know, it was always going to be impossible for us to fully quote unquote replace Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb, but we did not see the kind of just incredible perimeter speed and interior speed, frankly, all the way through one through 11 and honestly one through 22 on offense that we had last year. And I think that that sets us up to, to be competitive with everyone. I think so as well. Thoughts on that? We have a lot to stop is the biggest thing. And I don't mean just like one or two guys. We have just weapons upon weapons. We have a whole armory full of guys. You have to stop. Like if 13 people, 13 people have scored touchdowns this year. It's absolutely insane. At this point, 
Yeah, at this point last year, it was like the number was like seven or six. I think it's nuts to go from we were running back university and now we're just Georgia. <laughs> yeah. And we still have a really great running yeah. back core, but now we have an incredible like five star offense across the board and it's not going to stop here. Yeah. It's a really young team that we're just going to keep recruiting under because other recruits are going to see what we're doing with these players and they're going to want to come and it's just going to build and build and build just like Alabama did. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, it, I mean, not is going to, is, I think is. Yeah. So what, so what was your set? Yeah. What, what was your next thing? My biggest thing was just watching other games within the conference and just observing what was going on. Um, I won't go through all of them because I think that uh, there's a Vanderbilt piece um, that's not as important as say the LSU Auburn game. I think the variable game was good, and I don't think Notre Dame is nearly as good as their ranking ever says, and I will fight anyone who wants to talk about that. But uh, LSU beating Auburn is great for us, is my big takeaway from watching that game. LSU, we see them first. They'll likely be undefeated going into that game with us, and it'll make our schedule look even better uh, after everyone has so many gripes and concerns about how potentially weak our schedule was. And so... LSU beating Auburn will put them a lot closer to our rank and that margin between us will become a lot thinner by the time they see us three games down the road from now. And I think that's going to be great. If you want a, a few takeaways from their game was I, I, I'm not afraid of Joe Burrow. I don't think Joe Burrow is as good as he could be. He doesn't feel like an Ohio State quarterback to me. And that is most likely he has a 48 per, he has a 48 percent per completion percentage. Exactly. Is all I'm saying. And that's why he's not at Ohio State is because he's not an Ohio State quarterback. He's not very accurate. And his receivers and D-liner would end up saving him later in the game. There were so many hot takes about Joe Burrow's great in the clutch. He's a clutch quarterback. He's just such a good guy. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, he's got good receivers and his D, you know, his uh, his O-line was was really saving his butt later in the game. So I don't think the LSU Mm -hmm. defense is very flashy either. On the Auburn side of the ball, Auburn's win probability was 83% post-game, which is heartbreaking for Auburn. Boo-hoo. Uh, but that game came down to turnovers, and I think this is it looks really good for us. There's going to be a lot of subjective narratives going into that game about how much better LSU is than people are saying they are or this and that. But I think at the end of the day, Auburn is still the better team. They just got boned on turnovers, and that's what it ends up being. Yeah, yeah. I think those are all good takeaways. I, I mean, I think LSU is going to be a good game because I, I think LSU has a lot of skill mm-hmm. talent, a lot of defensive talent, but I don't know that Joe Burrow – I think Joe Burrow is kind of smoking mirrors yeah. right now. The results just don't say that he's a good quarterback. Here's my last mm-hmm. observation, and this is just something I want every. You know, we've talked a lot. Of, we've done a little nit, a little bit of nitpicking, I would say, in a good way. You know, because that's that's the chapel ball curve way. We we look at things objectively. But here's another here's another fact that should excite you. To this point, UGA has not. So it, there's there's a stat that I really like called percentile performance, and basically it just means how well did you play. In, in terms of your talent and in terms of how well you should have played against this opponent. So if you're a really good team, you can still lose to an opponent, and usually it's because you didn't play well against them. Make sense? So what should scare everyone else in the nation is that UGA has not yet gotten over an 80% percentile, appointment, uh, um, percentile performance against an FBS team. We had 88 against Austin P, but against South Carolina, we had a 76% percentile performance, and we still won 41-17. Against MTSU, we had a 73% percentile performance, and we still won 42 or 42 to 7 or 49 to 7. So I guess what I'm saying is this is a team that has a very young defense, but this is a defense that when it starts playing up to its talent level is going to be good enough that this team will be very, very hard yes. to beat. And that's my takeaway. I like it. 
All right. Um, you want to talk about some of our predictions from last week? Yeah. So our over-unders. So we're going back through our over-unders and just kind of talking about where we ended up. So Nathan's first over-under, uh, he asked over-under if there was going to be 0.5 rushing touchdowns for fields. Nathan said over, which gives him the win on that one with the one running rushing touchdown from fields. I said under just because I didn't think we were going to pull that out. We weren't going to put him in danger like that. I knew it was going to happen. I was so happy. <laughs> just so that happened hit. that that's how it turned out. Nathan's second over-under was 20 snaps from Fromm. We both guessed over. We did see a lot more from than we expected to see. My first over-under was I was hoping for two touchdowns from Holyfield, one receiving, one rushing specifically. Uh, I said push because that's exactly what I was guessing. Uh, and I think the play that I expected to see Holyfield in was that passing touchdown that got pulled back from James Cook. And I expected Holyfield to be in the game a lot longer than he ended up being, but he was pulled in the, you yeah, know, before yeah. the half was over, and we didn't see him the rest of the game. So uh, mm-hmm. Nathan said under, he gets that one. And the last bit was over under Blankenship. Hot Rod Watch was 0.5 field goals. You said over, I said under, and they were zero field goals from this man because our offense was just way too efficient. Just couldn't be Could stopped. Not be stopped. Mm-hmm. Though uh, some would argue the most important over-under of the game or the most important prediction of the game would be the final score. And Nathan, your 52-17 was only off by 13, while my 42-14 was off by 14. Now it's time for everyone's favorite segment, I hope, Ask CBC. So first we have our annual... Um, our annual. Our, well, no, weekly. <laughs> annual would be once a year. Our weekly question from James Bearfield. Two questions. What poem, uh, what poetic work do you relate to the Middle Tennessee State game and why? And then his second one is how do you feel about the ladder paradox reflects on our offense? So <clears throat> let's talk about the ladder, ladder paradox first because I already got the poem mm-hmm. pulled up. The ladder paradox is a thought experiment wherein you say if you take a ladder and you turn it sideways and you have it running parallel to the Earth's surface at re- near relativistic speeds, which is to say close to the speed of light. What happens when an object runs at near relativistic speeds is that it appears to be shorter than it is because of its passage through time when you're in a reference frame outside of the of the object itself. So the ladder paradox is the idea that if the ladder travels at near relativistic speed through a barn or a garage um, in one side and out the other that normally could not contain the ladder, it would appear from a frame of reference outside of um outside of the ladders that the ladder could fit inside of the garage whereas if you were riding on the ladder you would see it as being too big to fit inside of the garage and stick out on either end in the moment that it passed through the garage now the answer to this the the resolution to this thought experiment uh, thought experiment has to do with the nature of special relativity in general which is the fact that relativity is relative and it only works in terms of our own frames of reference so it is possible for in one frame of reference for the ladder to appear to be shorter than the inside of the barn or garage and actually be longer than it in a in a seated reference when two observers where are in the same frame of reference this also has sort of some tangential relation to the heisenberg uncertainty principle which states that you can only discover the speed and uh, position of an object at one time and that you know discovering both uh, in, in, discovering one involves affecting the other but how would I relate, to, relate that to our offense what I would say is the difficult thing about our offense is that it is difficult for a defensive coordinator to determine from their plane of reference the size and speed of this offense at any given time because of the uh, depth of options and weapons on this team boom Yes, James, I have read a lot about relativi- relativity. I think that James' entire uh, goal here is just to find the most obscure reference he possibly can and just test you week to week. See, I think I think he knew enough about me to knew, know that I oh, would Oh, for know sure. 
Yeah, I think that was kind of a troll. Um, all right, his other question. Uh, what poem or work do you relate to Middle Tennessee and why? So I'm going to read I Hear America is Singing by Walt Whitman. And then I'm going to explain why I relate it. I hear America singing, the varied carols I hear, those mechanics each one singing his and it should be blithe and strong, the carpenter singing his as he measures his plank or beam, the mason singing his as he readies for work or leaves off work, the boatman singing what belongs to him in his boat, the deckhand singing on the steamboat deck, the shoemaker singing as he sits on his bench, the hatter singing as he stands, the woodcutter's song, the plowboy on his ways in the morning or at noon intermission or at sundown. The delicious singing of the mother or the young wife at work or of the girl sewing or washing, each singing what blessings to him or her and to none else. The day what belongs to the day, at night the party of young fellows robust and friendly, singing with open mouths their strong and melodious songs. So the reason I would relate this to MTSU is because, you know, this is a song about the the Americans value of work ethic, something that, you know, for a long time in this country, one of the things that America valued about itself was its work ethic. And I think that this relates because we saw several players get their first touchdowns um, as UGA players uh, this week. We saw the first uh, punt return touchdown from Michael Hardman. We saw the first receiving touchdowns from JJ Holloman and from Jason Stanley, who waited four years to get his. And I think, you know, it kind of just, this poem reflects the value of hard work in life, but also in UGA's football program. Kirby Smart doesn't really care what your star rating is once you're in the program. You have to earn what playing time you get through work. And if you are willing to value work the way Walt Whitman did and to sing it and glorify it, you can be successful in this program if you are an athletic freak. Whew. All right. Checkmate, Next. James Bearfield. Uh Ryan Clark asks CBC, Ariana wants to know, what is your favorite animal? You go first. She's your niece. My favorite animal by far and away is the blue whale. The blue whale is an incredible beast, and I have a fascination with the blue whale and always have my entire life because it is the largest animal to have ever lived on Earth. And let that sink in. It is the mm. largest animal to have ever lived on Earth. A single adult blue whale consumes 36,000 kilograms of krill a day. 36,000 kilograms. And that massive beast can swim up to 30 kilometers per hour. Uh, one of my favorite things about blue whales, they have hearts that are the size of cars. And that's like not like a little tiny like a Fiat. It's like a Ford F-150. Like that's how big their freaking heart is. <laughs> I think that's really cool. I really like whales. I can go on and on about the blue whale because I absolutely love them and I think they're absolutely incredible. But um, I'll just give you that. And if anybody ever wants to talk about the blue whale again, I will. We can also talk about my least favorite animal, which is the panda. That's all I can say before I get just absolutely livid about pandas and why they exist. Please, Nathan, take it away. Okay. Yeah, so my favorite animal is the bobcat or American lynx. That is because I like big cats. I really like this sort of antediluvian nature of their predatory skills in the sense that, you know, cats uh, are not pack hunters and cats still hunt with the same techniques that were used by proto felines. And even before feline and canine uh, branched from the same tree um, that they've been using for millions of years. And I particularly like the American bobcat because it's not that big. American bobcats are not, much bigger mm. than house cats actually i mean they are bigger but they're not much bigger one of my favorite things about them is that they are 
their food, like how much food they eat is heavily reliant on how much prey is around. And so they're fully capable of only eating like one or two big animals every few days or eating like 30 or 40 squirrels in a day. And so when prey is abundant, they eat a lot of small things. And when prey is is not that is like, you know, rare, they just go and kill like a moose <laughs> or something, which I think is awesome. And just, I mean, they're so cute. They don't have tails, but also they'll kill you. And that's like, a, that's sort of a theme in my life about things that I like. <laughs> uh, with your wife behind you doing whatever, any... you know, in the same room. I mean, probably brandishing a knife at this point. From Turner Hawkins, one of my band buddies, who is currently the assistant band director at Dobbins Bennett High School in Tennessee, a very, 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 very good high school marching mm-hmm. band program. Like one of the best band programs in the nation, bar none. Uh, he asks... Uh, it makes me so angry to see Sony Michelle play for the Patriots. Who is your favorite UGA player who has gone to play to be someone you hate in the pros? It is David Andrews, and there is no doubt about it. David Andrews, I mean, I don't hate David Andrews, but his name's Boss Andrews. Like, that's the most Georgia name of all time, and he's just like the meanest, angriest sinner I've ever seen in my life. And it makes me so angry that he has to, like, just touch Tom Brady. It makes me well, so I furious. I, I don't hate Sony Michelle by any means. Uh, I forgot that that was, like, written to the question. I just hate, like... That was such a letdown when the, the, the Patriots picked him up. It was so very upsetting, especially now watching yeah. them play the last couple of games that they don't know how to use him yeah. at all because they've just sat behind Tom Brady for the last 15 years or however long he's been playing for freaking ever. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But no, I, I absolutely hate that he's a Patriot. Mm-hmm. Banshee Radio asks, what, statistically speaking, of course, are our chances at winning more turnovers this upcoming weekend? We can tell you exactly. Uh, they're totally random. Well, we can try to tell you the turnover margin and the turnover luck. But it is totally random. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we can. I mean, the Banshee, you're quite. I mean, so there's there's sort of two different components to turnovers. You can cause more turnovers, but you only recover on average about fifty percent of turnovers. And so I would say our chances of getting more this next week are actually high because our havoc play rate is so low. And I think we'll kind of snap back and regress back to the mean mm-hmm. this year eventually because we just have too much talent. It's true. So that's our episode. Do us a favor and go to RodrigoBlankenship.com and enjoy everything on that beautiful freaking website. It's 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 genuinely like, a work of art. Stop in the middle of this episode, the moment we mention RodrigoBlankenship.com, and go read it, and then come back and enjoy it alongside us, like in real time. Yeah, because it is yeah. so good. It's so so good. Uh, yeah, anyway, this has been Chapel Bell Curve. You can find us on all the podcast places like iTunes, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else you can subscribe to a podcast. Get in touch with us on Facebook by searching Chapel Bell Curve or by email, chapelbellcurve at gmail.com. And on Twitter and Instagram at Chapel Bell Curve. You can find us both on Twitter as well. You can go ahead and yell at us. Nathan's tag is at Nathan J. Lawrence. Mine is at the Justin Bray. You can also check out our new website, chapelbellcurve.com. It's a hub for all of our content, blog posts, episodes, our Twitter feeds on there, anything else we find relevant throughout the week, and just kind of a uh, jumping pad for us to just put stuff on. And if you enjoyed today's episode, as I think Nathan said in the very beginning of this, smush that mother love and like button and subscribe to us Mm -hmm. and give Mm -hmm. us a rating and a review Mm -hmm. because honestly, that does fit into some sort of crazy Apple podcast algorithm that allows more people to see what we're doing. And with that in mind, once again, say we want to say thank you for all of you guys that listen week to week, because like we said at the very beginning, we are now in the top 200 podcasts for college sports. And that is pretty um, unreal. Like I honestly, and I'm not exaggerating when I say on Friday, when I found that out, I had to leave work. 
because I was like, I can't work anymore. I'm done. And thank you, everybody. This has been a great week. I'm done for the day. I'm too excited. And this is unreal. So thank you guys for making that happen. It's pretty incredible. We'll catch you in Columbia this week, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is Columbia. We'll catch you in Columbia this following weekend. Until then, go dogs. Go dogs. <laughs>